0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at LifeHouseChurch.org. Are you growing more or less loving? Is your heart toward people getting harder or softer? Especially during the last 17 months where you you feel like, rage has increased in our nation, hate and hurt seem to be on the increase, and where we just cancel anyone that we disagree with or don't like. And so are you growing harder or softer toward others? But let's make it more specific. Are you growing harder or softer toward your neighbors? Toward your spouse, your kids, your coworkers? Are you more or less loving today than you were, say, this time last year? I think in a season, in a time where we feel like we're just trying to fight to survive, where rage and hate seem to be on the increase, it's easy to turn inward and tribal where if you're like me and you think like me and you look like me, then I'll like you, but anyone else, I'm hardened toward. And I know I have my group of people that I have a, I don't know, I, I feel a little hard toward them, and it's, it's almost easy for me not to like them. And so this is my confession moment. And so before I, I confess it, I want you to know that I'm in a pretty, I'm in a pretty healthy place. All right, is that fair to say, like, just so you're, like, so I'm gonna confess, but before I do, like, I just came back from having a vacation. And so I just wanna say thank you. Thank you to Life House. You guys give me, my family, a chance to get away. I know that this church does not rise and fall on us. We have an amazing pastoral team an amazing staff. In fact, would you guys give them a huge round of applause? We gotta... Uh, I'm so grateful that everything doesn't come to a screeching halt because I'm gone. Uh, I'm so grateful to have a great team, and I'm so grateful for you as a church that you continue to give and you continue to be faithful. We were able to join with you uh, online, and that was a lot of fun to be able to know that we were still here, even if we were away. So it was really cool. And so, you know, uh, with six kids on vacation, it's not physically restful. Okay, And we play hard. We vacation hard. But it was emotionally and mentally and spiritually refreshing. So as I confess this, it's coming from like a, like a place where I feel relatively rested mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I try to pull away from social media and the news as much as possible when I'm on vacation. But I'm going to tell you, uh, there are too many times when I get, so this is my group of people that I get hardened toward. I will read comments online and it makes me mad. And I spend way too much time thinking about my response. So I want to respond to people online, on social media. If they comment on my page and they put something stupid on there, I just start stewing and maybe they, maybe somebody spreads a rumor about me. Yeah, that even happens to me, right? And so like I'll spend all this time thinking about my response and then I start writing and I spend way too much time writing a very biting response. And then after I'm all done thinking and all done writing, I just delete it. But I'm still hard. I'm still irritated about their comment or their rumor or their negativity. And the group that puts me over the edge the most is Christians and church leaders that attack the church. Because I feel like, you know, like I grew up in a home where you know, like, you're, we, were, we were actually allowed to, like, fight with each other. Like, we have, I had three brothers, and my parents pretty much allowed us to fight. And, like, we were allowed to beat each other up. But don't mess with one of us outside the home. Right? And, and that's what I feel like, you know, when somebody takes their, their quarrel with the church outside of the church, I'm like, man, that ain't right. That's like, be, that's like beating up your brother in front of his friends. Like, you just don't do that. Like, that's off limits, right? You step in and you're like, you want to fight with my brother? Well, you fight with the whole family, right? And, and like, that's my, anyway, for whatever reason, that just really sets me off. And so now there's my confession. And some of you are like, really, that's all you got? Hey, come on. We all have our trigger, right? And what happens though is there's this group of people that you get hardened toward and you don't even feel bad when you start writing something that's pretty biting. Now, some of you, you don't even bother holding back. You don't even feel bad at all and you just put it out there and all right, we'll just leave it there. But the point is, when when have you had enough of love and it's time to fight back? Like you gotta fight back against someone or some group, or maybe some of you are like, I gotta fight back against the government, or I gotta fight back, I don't know. Like you just, you have a fight in you that you're like, they could push me this far, but no further. That's it. So that's, um, that's I feel like that's where John would have been. John was the, the last living disciple of Jesus, the apostles of Jesus, right? There's 12 of them. Judas took his life. They replaced him. So there's these 12 guys. 11 of them are brutally murdered and martyred for their faith in Jesus. I mean, beheaded, crucified, beaten to death. And John is the last living one. He's an older man now. And they even tried to kill him. In fact, at one point, they dropped him into a vat of boiling oil to kill him, and it didn't kill him. So imagine what he must have looked like. I mean, he was probably brutally scarred from being, you know, boiled in this vat of oil. I mean, he 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 was probably. Um, he, was, he would have been beaten, so he didn't look great. But because they didn't kill him, they finally just put him into prison on an island, the island of Patmos. So don't think Maui, think Alcatraz, all right? That's where he's isolated, and John is living there. And one Sunday morning, John is on this island. He's up on the hill. He's hiding in a cave uh, from the sun, and he has this vision of Jesus, and the vision is about the end of the world. And he begins to write it down. And it's this prophecy and this picture of the end of time. It's, it's got 22 chapters to it. And later, it gets included in the Bible. And so we have access to the book of Revelation. It's, it was included in the Bible. People, whether they believe in God or care about the Bible or not, people are drawn to read the book of Revelation because they're curious about what is written in the Bible about the end of time. Now, interestingly for for John, when he's writing it to the church, it's not like some far away, distant event like you might have thought about when you think about the apocalyptic times. Like, oh, well, in the year, you know, like in the movies, like in the year 2130, right? Like they felt like they were living in the end times. It was the end of the world for them. There was incredible persecution. There were people being murdered in their homes. People were, it was a devastating time. And so John is writing to the church who feels like they're living in the apocalyptic times. And and, uh, as he opens the book, he writes, Jesus gives him notes To seven different churches. And so in this series, we're going to walk through some of those different notes that he gave to the churches, because it really is a word for each of us. And the first church that he writes a note to is the church of Ephesus. Now, the city of Ephesus is the second most powerful and prominent city in the entire Roman Empire, right? Second only to the city of Rome. That's how important Ephesus is. It's a political center. It's an economic and social center of the, of the world. And so uh, John is writing this note from Jesus to the church of Ephesus, a church that is experiencing threats and persecution. It's as if they were getting canceled and shut down for a long period of time. And they're struggling, and they're afraid. And so Jesus gives these words to John in Revelation chapter 2. Let me just start and read it to you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So let me just pause real quick because there's a lot of metaphor. uh, in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, so you have no idea what's even maybe going on right off the bat. So he's saying, I, this is the words I want delivered to the church of Ephesus. These are the words from him who holds the seven stars. What that means is, I'm the one who is the God of all the universe. So it's just metaphorical. I'm the God of all creation. And I walk among the seven golden lampstands. He's referring to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And he puts his lampstand in the church. So the seven golden lampstands are to the seven different churches. And what he's saying is, is I'm the light of the world. And I've called you, I've given you my light to be light in darkness. Okay, so I'm the God of all creation. And I'm the light in the darkness. He goes like this. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships. Man, it feels like the last 17 months. And for some of you, the last 17 years, you've endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. You've been beat up and beat down. You've been through a hard time. You've, you've survived poverty and pandemics and persecution. You've, you've, you've done the right thing and you haven't given up. Life has not been easy for you, but you've believed the right thing and you've done the right thing and you're, you're not giving up. And so he's encouraging them. And then he gives them this one challenge. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You, you used to be red hot in your love for Jesus, but you left that behind. And in a couple different translations of the Bible, remember the Bible, this was, this was originally written in Greek, and so it's translated into English, and when they translate it, you know, like, the words aren't exact, right? And so in this translation, it says, you you, forsook, you have forsaken the love you had at first. In, in another translation, it said, you have lost your first love. And then another one, it said, you left your first love. And so these different words that get thrown around, so let me just kind of break that down for you. What is he correcting them for? Laura and I have a very different approach to umbrellas. Like a typical guy, if it's raining, I don't care. I just walk out the door, and I'll just run a little faster to the car. Like I cannot be the only guy that's like that, right? Like you guys are there, you're like, like just, run, just run to the car. Like who cares? You're not going to get wet. I mean, it, it, who cares? You're not going to get soggy, right? Like you'll be fine. Um, but Laura doesn't go anywhere without an umbrella. It could, there could be no rain in the forecast for a week, and Laura would have us carry an umbrella around. And for me, it's just extra weight, we don't need that. And and so for me, when I leave the house, I leave the umbrella behind. Okay, thank you, that's that's a holy statement. Um, But for Laura, if she doesn't have an umbrella, it's because she lost her umbrella. She wanted it, she just couldn't find it. What he said that they did with Jesus' love is not that they had it and couldn't find it, but that they deliberately, like Patrick, thought, looked at the umbrella and thought, yeah, I don't need that, and just left. He said they had this passionate love for God that they just walked out the door and left behind. There was other things in their life that became more important. All of the problems and all of the pain and all the troubles they were going through, caused them to get more focused on other issues than loving Jesus. It's like, imagine the church in Ephesus. They were like making comments online, and when you read them, you think, yeah, that wasn't very loving. They they meet someone in the grocery store, and if Jesus saw them interact with other people at the grocery store, Jesus would have been like, yeah, that wasn't very loving. They, they passed someone on the highway, and Jesus was like, yeah, that wasn't very loving. You, you did the right thing, and you believed the right thing. You just didn't do it with love. That was his correction. So they were all head and no heart. And I wonder if that challenge is appropriate for us in this season as a church. Now, if you're, if you're brand new to the church, you're off the hook. If you don't believe in Jesus or you've never been part of a church, this you're totally off the hook, all right? You good? Some of you should be like, yeah! But if, you've, if you're part of the church, this is a correction for us. Now, maybe if you're not part of the church or you're brand new, this might apply to you as well because you might look in and go, yeah, there's some things I've done that weren't very loving either. And so the challenge is that we need to love long, maybe even love longer. See, I'm convinced that nearly anybody I interact with, even those on social media or on news comments, I don't think that they deliberately believe the wrong thing. I, I, I give people the benefit of the doubt that most people believe that they're believing right. You with me so far? Now, some of you, that right there, you're like, ah, I don't know about that. All right, well, let's give them the benefit of doubt. Let's give people the benefit of doubt that they're not deliberately lying or believing falsehoods or promoting something that's bad. They believe that it's good. They believe that it's right. And what happens is you have a lot of people who believe right, right things or that they're right. They even try to do right things, even if it's the wrong thing. So how do they get it and how do we get it so wrong? It's because we left love behind. In our effort to believe right and do right, we left love behind because we're fighting to survive. We're fighting to get ahead. We're just fighting to keep our head above water. And there's this sabotaging force inside of every one of us It's a spiritual force. It's not emotional. It's not mental. It's not physical. It's somewhere deeper inside of every one of us. It's spiritual and it's undermining our ability to love well and love long. It's it's getting in the way of our ability to not just believe right and do right, but do it for the right reasons. It's called sin. Sin is a spiritual sabotaging force inside of every one of us that rejects God. It hardens us toward God. It hardens us toward each other and compels us to do things that are not good. Sin. It's a spiritual sickness separating us from God and It wrecks us, and wrecks our relationship with others, and it leads toward a forever without God. Sin, separating us from God, spending eternity without God, experiencing an eternal death sentence. That's the bad news. The good news is that God refused to leave us alone. We could reject God, but God's love outlasts our rejection. We could turn our back on God, but God's love lasts longer and he doesn't turn his back on us. We could do wrong things and God does what is right for the right reasons every time. And so God is pursuing you. You don't even have to pursue him. God loves you even if you don't love him. He wants to welcome you into his family even if you were not ready to be part of his family. He says, I love you and I'm for you. So John, and it may be the same guy named John. What we know is that these letters were written to the church in Ephesus. And they're also in the Bible, written by a guy named John, possibly the same John. In his letters, in this one, it's the first letter of John. In 1 John chapter four, the author writes this. And again, this is to the church in Ephesus, who he's writing about love. And he says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. I mean, this is long love. This is love that lasts longer. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you get it? He said, God's love lasts longer. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us, and so he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He, he was generous. He was sacrificial. No matter what we stole, God gave. No matter what how we were selfish, God was selfless. No matter how much we rejected him, he pursued us, right? God's love outlasted our rejection, our sin, our hate, and our hurt. And so if you, if your heart has gotten hard, or maybe your love has, you know, you, you've grown less loving than more loving. It's time for you to experience the love of God. I have good news for you. God loves you. He proved it by becoming one of us. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross. Why would he have to die? Because death was the Eternal death was the payment for our sin. And so Jesus took on our eternal death sentence. When he died on the cross, he died once for all, absorbing all of our eternal death sentence. So when Jesus died, he died paying for the penalty of our sin. And then he miraculously and supernaturally rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he gives us life, forever life. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are both forgiven and given new and forever life. And so I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe you would, maybe you would say you were on the outside of the church and maybe you thought you were exempt from this sermon or this message. And I want to give you an invitation and just say, welcome home. If you're ready to put your faith in Jesus and receive his love that lasts longer, longer than your failures, longer than your guilt, longer than your shame then you are invited to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I just, wanna, I just wanna celebrate that and be like, welcome home. Welcome into God's love. And if you're making that commitment, would you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411. And when you text us, uh, we're gonna send you some resources really quick, just to give you some tools to help you as you begin this new relationship with Jesus. Now, as I said, this message and this challenge is mostly for the church. And it's a call to invite the church to get back to their first love. And so for you, for those of you that believe in Jesus, have you left your first love? Was there a time in your life when you were more red hot, passionately in love with Jesus than you are right now? And what snuck in and got in the way of that love? Maybe you've gotten more in love with politics than you are in love with Jesus. Maybe you've gotten more angry about the pandemic than you are in love with Jesus. Maybe there's other stuff that has just clouded your focus on loving Jesus. And so this is an invitation for you to come back to loving Jesus. Here's the great thing. When you receive God's love, God's love comes in you, and then God's love pours through you, right? What fills, spills. Some of you know that, right? Because you've, you've been around me. You've heard my message before. Um, you've heard me preach. And so I was away on vacation. I thought the first thing I got to remind them of is that love, that, that whatever fills, spills. So let's say again. What fills, spills. All right, so you got it, right? So if you're filled with hurt, hurts going to spill. If you're filled with rejection, rejection's going to spill. If you're filled with anger, you're going to hurt others. But if God's love that lasts longer fills then you'll love longer. Let, let me read this to you. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. Here's this, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God's love in you is greater than the problems around you. God's love in you is greater than the troubles around you. And then he continues and explains it this way. We know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Did you catch that last part? If I believe in Jesus, then God's spirit is in my spirit, which means God gives me his love. So his love is in me. And because his love is in me, I can both know God's love and rely on God's love, which means God's love in me, lasts longer than all the problems around me. Remember, he's writing this to the church of Ephesus that was beaten and persecuted and threatened and had endured hardships. So what he's saying is love longer than your troubles. Make sure that God's love in you outlasts the problems around you. Can make it specific love longer than the pandemic has lasted. Some of you, you were able to love for a couple of weeks, you know, like two weeks to flatten the curve, and then this thing just kept going and going, and it's like, I, sometimes I feel like somebody wants to keep this thing going. I mean, I don't know who would be psychotic enough to, but whatever. Uh, the point is, I just feel like this isn't ending. Like, when is it gonna go away, right? And, and so I think what happens is we get worn out. And when we get worn out, we get short with each other. We start getting hard toward each other, like, it's not your fault, but I take it out on you. It's not my kid's fault, but I take it out on them, right? And so what what this passage is, is when God is in you, his love lasts longer than the problems around you. When you rely on God's love, He he empowers you He gives you a love that lasts longer than the pandemic. His love lasts longer than the economic challenges that you're facing, the financial situation you're in. His love lasts longer than the diagnosis. His love lasts longer than the crises. And when you begin to get that in you, God's love in me outlasts any problem around me. Make sure that you don't let your problems outlast your love. Because if you get to the end of love, before you get to the end of your problems, your heart will get hard and you will leave love behind and then others will look in and Jesus might look in and say, that wasn't very loving. And let's all be honest. We've had a few moments during the past 17 months where we said things and did things that if Jesus was speaking to us, he'd have said, yeah, that wasn't very loving, right? Okay, so that, that's the, that's the uh, key takeaway. And then the, the second one is this. Let me, let me read this, First John chapter 4, verse 18. He goes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, which means if you don't fear, Love is being perfected in you. And he specifically uses this word drive out, which I really want to get, uh, I want to I help you focus your attention on driving fear out so that you have love that lasts longer. Love longer than your fears. Let me give you a challenge. God's love in you outlasts the fears in your heart. The word that he uses when he says, perfect love drives out fear. Uh, This was written in the Greek, right? And so uh, the word is actually a a picture. Imagine the picture. Now, I don't know, I I think almost almost all of you are probably very hospitable and you're, you're wonderful guests. The picture he gives is opening the front door of your house and kicking someone out. All right, what he's saying is perfect love opens the front door of the house and then kicks fear out as an unwelcome guest. Now, I might have kicked somebody out of my dorm room in college, but I've never kicked someone out of my house. And I don't think you have either, right? But on vacation, we were visiting family and and so we were with, with my family and we were hanging out at their house, probably overstaying our welcome. And I was upstairs and I heard a shriek Scream, and then the dog barked, and then everyone's screaming. I come downstairs. I'm like, "What's going on?" They're like a cockroach, a big, big cockroach. It landed on my sister-in-law and started devouring her arm. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, like cockroaches. They'll scare. You know, they'll scare anybody. I mean, the most you know seasoned warrior is scared when a cockroach lands on their arm, right? And so this cockroach landed on her arm. She knocked it off. And here's what you do, right? If you got a cockroach in your house, you kill it. Or you drive it out of the house, right? You open the front door and you do whatever it takes to get the cockroach out, right? Like you will pull the refrigerator out if that sucker's behind it. You haven't pulled your refrigerator out in a decade, but you will pull the refrigerator out to get that cockroach out of the house. You will, you will get all kinds of poisons, and you will get a vacuum cleaner, and you will get a broom that you haven't used in a month, and you will do whatever it takes to drive the cockroach out. Some of you have cockroaches of fear living under the fridge, and they creep out every once in a while, and they just freak you out. You've allowed fear to to live in your home as an unwelcome guest. And what what Jesus is challenging the church of Ephesus is that love opens the front door and says, fear, you're not welcome here anymore. And some of you, you need to get that in your heart, that God's love in you is opening the front door of your life and saying, fear, you're not welcome here. Get out. It's time for you to open the door of your life and kick out the front door and say you're not welcome here. Some of you have been allowing the news cycle to stir fear that has pushed love out the front door. You've allowed fear to live in the recesses of your heart and in the corners of your life. And it's time to clean it up and allow allow, allow love to drive out fear so that fear isn't driving you. I want God's love to outlast my fears and drive out my fears. Allow God to so overwhelm your heart that he washes away, he cleans out, he kicks out the fears that are working in your heart and in places they shouldn't be. And then the final challenge I wanna give you from this passage to the church of Ephesus about love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He has given us this suggestion. He's given us this good idea. He's given us this meme or this post No, he has given us this command that we must love our brothers and sisters. And so I'll make this really personal. As I read that in my preparation, God's saying, Patrick, I've given you a command that you must love those who it's easy to harden your heart toward. You must love those that you want to put a reply toward. You must love those that you're writing a post against. You've got to love, that's that's the ultimate ethic of the Christian faith is a strong, powerful, victorious, winning, overcoming love. Love lasts longer than your conflicts. So make sure that God's love in you loves longer than the conflicts you have with anyone and everyone. Make sure that your love is longer than the conflicts you've had on social media or with a family member, with a spouse, with a coworker, with a neighbor, with an old friend. Love outlasts my conflicts. Love is the ethic of the church. And what we need is the love of God in the church to outlast the conflicts in our community. To outlast the conflicts in our nation. We are the ones that carry long-lasting love that overwhelms the problems and the pain and the tension and the, the um, differences that we feel in our communities. Our love lasts longer than our conflicts. We have to love our brothers and sisters, especially those that it's hard to think Are our brothers and sisters and so let me let me challenge you where do you need to come back to the love of Jesus that you've walked away from and how do you need to allow God's long-lasting love to fill you so that it spills through you in what situation do you need love to last longer than your troubles your fears, and your conflicts. Let me pray over you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you didn't turn your back on us because we turned our back on you. And thank you that you didn't reject us when we rejected you and you didn't stop pursuing us because we were not pursuing you. No, you loved us and you loved us longer and you forgave us and you gave and you served and you were generous to us when we didn't deserve it. So God, all across this place, we open our lives and our hearts, and we say, God, would you fill us again with that kind of long-lasting love? And would you help the love that fills to spill through us? And would you right now begin to show us the people and the places where we need to extend some long love?